Well, good morning, New Day. It's always so good to see you guys. I'm so glad that each and every one of you decided to be here today. For those of you who are tuned in online, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we just count it such a privilege to be able to worship together with you and to have uh, the ability to go ahead and teach the Word of God uh, to you. I'm excited, okay? Uh, how many enjoyed worshiping the Lord in song just a few minutes ago? Raise your hand, okay? Great, great, great. Who's excited now to worship the Lord with our mind? as we now study the Word of God, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, okay? We just loved Him with our heart. Now let's love and worship Him with our mind as we study the Word of God. Today we're continuing our teaching series called Christ the King. If you're new, uh, this is just a study uh, of the gospel according to Matthew. Now last week, uh, Andrew, our executive pastor here, he wrapped up uh, chapter 3. He concluded chapter 3. And so that means today uh, I'm going to go ahead and lead us in embarking on chapter 4. Our text today is Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 17. These are the verses we're studying today. And let's say our theme out loud together. Our theme today is the king's temptation. Now the topic of temptation is something we can all relate to, right? I mean, I don't know about you guys, that wasn't a very strong amen, but uh, for me, I can relate to temptation. For example, ever since our fifth child was born in November of last year, um, I have been sleeping not in my bed, which is downstairs, my really nice, super comfy, bobopedic bed downstairs. No, 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 I've been sleeping on the couch upstairs, okay? This is something I've had to do just temporarily with each of our children when they're born because I can barely function with sleep, never mind without it, okay? And so just temporarily, I've been sleeping upstairs. Now, there's certain advantages to sleeping upstairs. I'm not going to lie. Number one, I mean, it's a nice couch, okay? It's a nice, big, spacious, comfy couch. I just kind of you know, spread out, and I'm good, you know, so it's comfy. But the biggest thing that's the benefit is I get to watch whatever I want, okay? Yeah. I don't know why my wife doesn't like to watch war movies right before bed. I don't get it, okay? As a man, I just don't understand. Uh, but she doesn't, you know? And so, hey, for me, I get to just watch whatever I want. So there are uh, upsides, if you will, uh, to being upstairs, you know, on the couch, all right? But what I've noticed is that there are also decided downsides to being upstairs by the couch. And the biggest downside of being upstairs by the couch is that the couch is located next to the refrigerator. <laughs> and the snack-laden pantry, all right? Now, last year, I decided I'm going to make health a priority. I was going to the gym four times a week, this and that, the other. I actually lost 35 pounds, but before you clap, before you clap, <laughs> since having our baby, I've gained 10 of it back, okay? And it's because of this temptation, you know? I can't wait for this baby to get sleep-trained so that I can go back downstairs where it's so much safer for me, okay? <laughs> hey, what comes to mind for you when you think temptation? That's what came to mind for me, food temptation. What comes to mind for you? Let me see if you can relate to any of this. Did a little research and a uh, certain uh, Christian researcher compiled a top five list of the most common temptations for believers. First was the temptation to let anxiety, worry, and fear rule their life. That was number one on the list. Second was the temptation to procrastinate. Third was the temptation to eat too much. I just can't even believe anyone struggles with that. Fourth <laughs> was the temptation to overuse electronics and social media. And fifth was the temptation 
to be lazy. Now, this one didn't make the top five, but uh, disordered sex was also listed by many of the participants, which simply means the temptation to engage in sex in a way forbidden in Scripture. Can you relate to any of these temptations listed? Or do you have some other temptation that's jumping to mind? Maybe that wasn't on this top five list. Well, here's the deal. Whatever your particular temptations are, whatever temptations you are struggling with uh, today or have been this week or maybe over the last month or whatever, or maybe the ones you know are coming this upcoming week, whatever they are, I've got good news for you today. Because in today's passage, we're looking at how Jesus overcame overcame temptation so that we, you and I, can learn to do the same. All right, let me read you our text today. Matthew chapter 4, and we're picking up in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to the devil, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Friends, we've got some wonderful things to learn about overcoming temptation today. If you're taking notes today, now would be a great time to pull out those lesson notes, grab your pen. We'll give you some fill in the blanks so you can follow along the way. Here we go. The first thing we see in our text is what we're going to call the test. Yes, the devil came with a temptation. And so from the devil's uh, perspective, it was the king's uh, temptation. But from God the Father's perspective, from God the Holy Spirit's perspective, it was the king's test. Let me explain Take a look at the uh, slide on the map. After Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Oh, I forgot to read verse 1. All right, back up. My bad. This is my fault. We see the test in verse 1. Here it is. Matthew writes this. Then after his baptism, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, now you can look at the map. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, uh, God the Holy Spirit led Jesus uh, east into the desert-like wilderness. And here's a picture of this wilderness so that you can get the picture in your mind what it was like. This is literally a picture of the same area that Jesus was in. Okay, It looks the same today as it did 2,000 years ago. So no homes, no businesses, no food, no Starbucks, just isolation. 
And Jesus went there not because it was like a popular tourist attraction of his day. He didn't go there because it was a popular travel destination for people to go to. No one wanted to go out into the desert-like wilderness. So the question begs, why did he go? And the answer is simple. God the Holy Spirit led him there in order to test him. As we've been learning in this series, Matthew writes to portray Jesus as the great king that God promised to send into the world. And Jesus indeed was that king. Well, here's the deal. Before a king has any right to rule others, he must first prove that he can rule himself. And so God led Jesus into this wilderness in order to test him so that Jesus could prove his worthiness to rule over the kingdom that God had promised him. Now, God knew that Satan was going to attack with his manifold temptations. And God decided that the means of testing would be these temptations that Satan came against Jesus with. It might help you to think of Genesis 22, where God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, sacrifice your only son on the altar. Now, God didn't really want him to do that. No, the Bible says it was a test. Well, what was happening in Genesis 22 with Abraham is what's happening with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 in our text today. God led him into the wilderness to test his worthiness to rule as king forever. And so we see the test. And now that you've seen the test, I want to point out the next thing we see in the text, and we're going to call this the temptation. Now, I must confess that historically, I have always viewed this passage as listing three different temptations. But after studying this passage more in depth than I ever have before, um, I've changed my mind. And now I've decided that what I see here is one temptation that Satan tries to get Jesus to give into three different times in three different ways. All right, we all have certain temptations that we're most susceptible to. And I think Satan, instead of wasting his time trying to get us to give into, you know, ones we're not as likely, I just think he keeps hitting one after the other on the area that we're most likely to cave on. And that's what we see here with Jesus. So the one temptation is this. Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt God. And he goes about trying to do it three different ways. Here's the first way. First, Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt God's provision. All right? And we know this because the text talks about Jesus being hungry. So that's what's going on. Take a look in verses 2 and 3. Jesus was led by God into the wilderness, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, let me stop right there just for a second. When you fast, initially you're hungry. And then as time goes by, the hunger pains subside. But you've got to be very careful once they return, because that's literally your body cannibalizing itself. So he was hungry. We're just like, oh, you know, he just wanted a snack. He was kind of hungry. No, 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 no. He was literally starving to death. And the tempter came to him in this state and said to him, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I've read this, I've always asked myself, what's the temptation? Think about it for a minute. Is it inherently wrong for Jesus to use his divine powers? No, he did that all throughout his ministry. And is it wrong for a person to bake bread if they're hungry? 
No again. So friends, what's the temptation? Well, let me explain. In Philippians chapter 2, we get a little insight into the answer to that question. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. No, instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And we don't have time to get into Philippians chapter 2 in depth today, but suffice it to say this, Jesus emptied himself, meaning he temporarily set aside his divine powers and his divine privileges so that he could come to earth in the form of a servant to die a sinner's death on the cross. Jesus temporarily laid aside his divine powers. Now, why did he do that? Friends, it must be because that's what God the Father required of him to do. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he did miracles. He clearly had divine power. But friends, here's the deal. When Jesus came to earth, he only did what the Father instructed him and empowered him to do. It's why Jesus repeatedly said, I'm only doing what God the Father has told me to do. So friends, in this instance... It would have been wrong for Jesus to take back up the divine powers that God had instructed him to lay down during his earthly ministry. So that's how this was a temptation. Now, make no mistake about it. Jesus had access to these divine powers. Even though he temporarily, voluntarily laid them down, he had access to them. Which is why when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the uh, rabble-rousers came to go ahead and arrest him, Peter pulls out his sword and he tries to fight to keep Jesus free. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, Peter, don't you know that I could call upon 72,000 angels, 12 legions of angels to come rescue me right now? Peter, I have that power, but I'm not going to because I've come here to earth to live in obedience to God's command, and I've been instructed to lay aside those divine powers. So friends, here's Jesus literally starving to death. God's led him into the wilderness to experience this, to see if Jesus would trust him to provide. And Satan comes along and says, I know about your powers. You've set them aside, but I know you have them. Why don't you just use them just a little bit? In the land of Israel, rocks are as ubiquitous as McDonald's are here in America. And so he points to the stones on the ground. He said, look at that low. It's a perfect size. You know, just, just turn it into bread. And it must have been so tempting to Jesus. But friends, did Jesus give in? Absolutely not. Here's how Jesus responded in verse 4. He answered the devil, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in saying this, just so you know, because it's not obvious from the text, but just so you know, Jesus in saying this, he is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Now get this, what's going on in Deuteronomy 8? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God takes the Israelites out of Egypt... And he leads them on purpose into a desert-like wilderness in order to test them. And God brings the nation into a place in the wilderness where there is no food in order to test them to see if they would trust him to provide. But guess what happened when God brought them to a place that had no food? Did they say, God, we just trust you and however long this lasts, we give you praise? No, not at all. They did what you and I do, okay? (laughs) They got impatient and they impugned God's character 
And they concluded, God, you know why you brought us out of Israel? Not to bring us into the promised land. Rather, you brought us out of uh, Egypt so you could kill us in the desert. So what I'm saying is Israel miserably failed the test, okay? It wasn't an F, it was an F minus minus, all right? They just miserably failed the test. Now, in quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus is saying, I see myself in the same situation as the nation of Israel. God has led me out into the desert-like wilderness, and he's brought me here to be tested, and he's brought me to a place where there is no food to see if I'll trust him to provide. So friends, when Jesus turns to the devil and he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, what he was saying is this, devil, I will not disobey God by picking up my divine powers, and devil, I will not try and provide for myself when God is calling me in this specific instance to trust him to provide. Now later on in Jesus' ministry, when he was hungry, he just ate. And normally that's fine to do. But if God leads you to a place where there is no food, then eating food and providing for yourself in that instance would be sin. But when Jesus quotes the scriptures, what he's saying is, devil, you're tempting me to do such and such, but I'm telling you what God the Father has told me to do. And when he spoke that scripture out loud, that was his way of saying, I'm doing what God asks, not what you've tempted me to do. And in responding in that way, Jesus passed the test. So Satan swings and a miss. Strike one for Satan. But Satan's not giving up. Does he give up on us after one try? No, absolutely not. He's going to go for a second try. And having failed at getting Jesus to doubt God's provision, next, Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt God's presence. Take a look. We see this in verses Five to six, after his failed attempt to get Jesus to doubt God's provision, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So there's the devil, that little snake. And now he's quoting scripture. Oh, Jesus, you're quoting scripture. I can quote scripture too. Once again, It is not immediately obvious what the temptation is, okay? I mean, if you've had a really bad week at work and someone brings you up to the top of a skyscraper, maybe you are tempted to jump out, okay? But normally, normally, that's not much of a temptation. Jump off, uh, I'm actually not that tempted. Thank you, I'm good, you know, temptation passed, you know? So it's like, what's the temptation here? And once again, it requires some explanation, Friends, when we go through adverse circumstances, isn't the temptation to impugn God's character by concluding that he has abandoned us? Isn't that true? Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The second we have a rough week, the second we get the bad report from the doctor, the second something bad goes wrong, the second our our children don't turn out the way we thought they would, the second any kind of bad, we, we just go, God, you've abandoned me. And friends, that is to impugn God's character. But this is the temptation when we go through adverse circumstances to conclude, God, you've abandoned me. 
Well, friends, Jesus was in the middle of some very adverse circumstances. I mean, he's out in the baking hot sun in the desert-like wilderness. He's being physically deprived because there is no food out there and there's no one around to encourage him. And Satan just knows this is the perfect time to try to get Jesus to doubt God's presence. And so Satan whisks him away from the wilderness east of the Jordan River and brings him all the way to the holy city. Now, I'm not trying to show the path that Satan took. We have no idea. The point is Satan whisked him away uh, south, southwest there to the temple. All right, the text says the holy city. That just means uh, Jerusalem. And he brings Jesus to the temple which was located in Jerusalem. And they went and climbed up to the highest point of the temple. Now, we don't know exactly which part he was brought to, but if it was on the southern side, as you see here, that would have been a height of 164 feet. Now, if, it, if the devil brought him to the eastern side of the temple that overlooked the Kidron Valley, that would have been a fall all the way to the bottom of the valley of about 450 feet. You can pick which one you want because either way would have resulted in certain death. So Satan is saying in effect to Jesus, hey Jesus, you're going through a really hard time right now. I can't even imagine. I mean, you know, you've just been here out in the desert in the sun and you have no food and like, oh my goodness, my heart just goes out to you. And Jesus, you know, I can just sympathize with you. You're probably wondering right now, has God abandoned me? Jesus, I got the perfect idea. Why don't you go ahead and just ask God to do something miraculous? Ask him to save you as you jump from this deadly height and ask him to do it in order to prove that he hasn't abandoned you. Okay, so this uh, temptation is a little more sophisticated than the first. And it would have been tempting for Jesus because after 40 days of physical deprivation, all of us would probably begin wondering, has God abandoned me? So this was tempting. Jesus, hey, he came as fully God, but he came as fully man. And in his humanity, he no doubt wanted the comfort that would have come of knowing that God had not forgotten about him. So this was very tempting for Jesus. But again, Jesus didn't give in. Here's how he responded to the temptation in verse 7. Jesus said to the devil, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Now, here, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You say, what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Well, it's simple. Whereas in the first test, God led the nation of Israel to a place that had no food. In Deuteronomy 6, we learn that God brought the nation to a place that had no water. And once again, God brought them to the place that had no water in order to test them. God wanted to see if they would trust him or if they would conclude that he had abandoned them. Well, once again, the nation of Israel completely fails the test. When they got to this place that had no water, it was only a little bit of time that went by before they demanded of Moses, Moses, if the Lord is with us, then have him prove it by giving us water to drink. In other words, Moses was telling them, God hasn't abandoned you. He's with you. And the people were going, no, he's abandoned us. They impugned God's character. But they said to Moses, but if you think he's with us, then have him do a miracle to prove it. They did not trust God. They concluded he abandoned him and demanded a miraculous sign if in reality it was different than the way they were thinking. So Israel failed her test. 
And again, Jesus sees himself in the same situation as Israel. In quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, Jesus is saying, I'm in the same situation that Israel was in. God's testing me to see if I'll trust him or if I will impugn his character by concluding and accusing him of abandoning me. Abandoning me. But Jesus has zero plans to go ahead and repeat Israel's folly. And in quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was telling the devil this, I will not demand of God a miraculous sign to prove he hasn't abandoned me. In other words, Jesus was saying, devil, don't you understand? Right now, God is testing me. So who am I to try to flip the script on God by testing him? I'm the one that's supposed to be tested right now, not God, and I just won't do what you're tempting me to do. I won't demand of God a miraculous sign. God, save me as I jump off this cliff. Save me to prove you haven't abandoned me. I won't do it. And in responding this way, Telling the devil, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm not going to do what you're tempting me to do. In responding that way, Jesus passed the test. So here's Satan, swing and a miss. Okay, now it's strike two. But Satan's still not ready to give up. He's going to take a go at this attempt of his to get Jesus to doubt God. He's done it once, he's done it twice. He's going to try one more time to go ahead and get Jesus to doubt uh, God. He failed at getting Jesus to doubt God's presence. He failed at getting, uh, getting Jesus to doubt God's provision. Now, thirdly, he tries to get Jesus to doubt God's promise. And we see this in verses 8 to 10. Take a look. Having failed to get Jesus to doubt God's provision and presence, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Friends, here's what you need to understand. The devil had every right to go ahead and offer this to Jesus. God originally appointed mankind to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they forfeited their right to rule. And Satan took up that leadership mantle. So here's Satan offering Jesus something that he actually had the ability to offer him. Okay? Now here's the deal. God promised Jesus that he would one day rule over an eternal kingdom. I mean, in Psalm chapter 2 verse 8, God told Jesus this, Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So God promised Jesus a kingdom that would rule over all the nations of the earth. A kingdom that would span the the breadth and scope of the whole world. But in God's plan, Jesus would receive his eternal kingdom by way of the cross. Yes, one day Jesus would receive a crown of gold, but that was going to come much later. First would come the crown of thorns. But Satan here tries to get Jesus to doubt God's promise, meaning the way in which the promise is fulfilled. Satan saying to Jesus, why don't you have your kingdom without the cross? And how tempting this must 
have been. And again, Satan had the right, had the ability to offer this. I mean, have you ever noticed that the Apostle Paul, take a look in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Apostle Paul calls Satan the God of this age. And then Jesus himself in John, in John's gospel, calls Satan the prince or ruler of this world. Why is that? Again, mankind forfeited their right to rule and reign because of sin. And Satan came in and just stole that dominion from Satan. When Jesus comes a second time, he will overthrow Satan and take dominion back. And he's able to do that because here in Matthew chapter 4, he proved his worthiness to rule and reign by being victorious over the temptations that tripped Adam up originally back in the garden. So this must have been really tempting to Jesus to get the promised kingdom without the cross. But once again, Jesus refuses to give in. Jesus says this in verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And in quoting this verse, Jesus is saying, Devil, I refuse to fail where Adam did. Adam lost his right to rule through sinful disobedience. I'm going to prove my right to rule through my God-honoring obedience. So friends, what you need to understand is this. The devil first tried two times to get Jesus to go the way of the nation of Israel. But when he failed at that, he switched gears and tried a new tactic. The third time trying to entice Jesus to go not the way of Israel, but to go the way of Adam. But here's the deal. Thank the Lord that where Israel failed, where Adam failed, the devil also failed. (laughs) He could not get Jesus to doubt God. And in Jesus quoting the scripture, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus was saying, I'm not doing devil what you're tempting me to do. I'm going to do what God says to do. And in responding that way, Jesus passed the test. Jesus refused to doubt God's provision. He refused to doubt God's presence. And he refused to doubt God's promise. And this leads us really nicely into the third and final thing that we see in our text. First, we saw the test, then we saw the temptation, and now finally we see the triumph. And we see this in verse 11. Because Jesus just absolutely refused to doubt God in any way, Matthew records, the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Friends, what does James chapter 4 verse 7 say? I'll do the first half and you fill in the blank. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's right. He'll flee. And Jesus resisted the devil. Every time the devil came with an attack, Jesus said, the word of God says such and such and that's what I'm committed to. And in that way, he resisted the devil. And so the devil took off. Hence, we see the triumph, Jesus' victory over temptation in the devil. And here was the cherry on top. Jesus got that food that he was trusting God to provide. When it says the angels came and ministered to him, what does that mean other than the angels came and gave to Jesus what he needed, which absolutely included food? Because he was literally starving to death. So what I'm saying is, in the same way, 
that God provided manna miraculously for the Israelites. So God miraculously provided food for Jesus via the angels. Jesus had trusted God to meet his needs, and that's exactly what God did, even if it wasn't on Jesus' ideal timetable. Doesn't that bother you sometime? It does me. I want what I want when I want it. I don't want it on God's timetable. I want it on mine. But guess what? God is God, and he gives me what I need on his timetable. Not when I want it, but when I need it. And that's what he did here with Jesus. He didn't send the provision when Jesus wanted it. That would have been on day one. He sent it when he determined Jesus needed it. And Jesus patiently trusted God to provide. Now, friends, so far all we've really done is cover uh, the text, okay? I've read it to you so we can answer the question, what does it say? And I've explained it to you so we can answer the question, what does it mean? But now we've got to get to the application part of the sermon by answering the question, what does it mean for me? And that's what we're going to give ourselves to here in the last five minutes. Friends, this section of Scripture has been preserved for us so that we could benefit from it, learning from the example of Jesus how we can overcome temptation and be victorious over it, and so that we can experience the triumph over temptation and the devil as Jesus did. So friends, here's how we do it if you're still taking notes, number one. If you want to be victorious over temptations, then number one, make sure you guard your quiet time. Friends, Jesus was out there in the desert-like wilderness doing spiritual battle with the devil. Well, guess what his source of spiritual strength was in which he fought the devil? It was his time alone with God. Prior to this encounter, Jesus had spent 40 days alone with God. Well, friends, every day we have a quiet time. Literally that part of our day where it's quiet in the house because the rest of the house hasn't woken up yet. All right, as soon as the dog's got to go out, as soon as the kids wake up, I mean, forget about it. But it's that quiet time and we've got to guard it. We've got to prioritize it because our time alone with God is our source of spiritual strength. Pretend you got two dogs and they're in a fight and leading up to the fight for two weeks before you starved one of the dogs and you gave the other one a lot of food and took good care of them and uh, exercised them regularly. And then the dogs fight. Which one's going to win? Come on, the one that has strength, right? Well, our source of spiritual strength comes from our time alone with God. And so every day we wake up, we read our Bible to see what God is speaking to us. And then when we pray, that's us speaking back to God. And when we do that, God infuses us with spiritual power. We cannot defeat the devil and his temptations in our own power and in our own strength. But when we have time alone with God, God imbues us with his own spiritual power and strength. And that is more than sufficient to defeat the devil. So number one, guard your quiet time with God. If you don't have one, start one. If you have one, but it's not been a priority, remember Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. It's got to be your number one priority in this life. Now, once you're guarding your quiet time, secondly, if you want to be victorious over temptation, guard your quiet time. But now secondly, identify when you're most vulnerable. There are certain circumstances in which we are more vulnerable to temptation than others. 
All right, for the teens in the house, let's pretend you're dating, okay? Let's pretend you're dating. Are you more likely to fall into sexual sin during a worship service during Ignite, our teen youth ministry? (laughs) Or are you more likely to fall into sexual sin in the backseat of a car in some abandoned parking lot late at night? Do you see what I'm saying? There are certain circumstances in which we are more vulnerable to temptation than others. And when we look at the life of Jesus, what we see is this. The devil, he's always looking for an opportune time. We read that in Luke's gospel. The devil left him until there was an opportune time. And he's always looking for those opportune times. Well, look when he attacked Jesus. He attacked Jesus when he was tired, when he was stressed, when he was alone. And I say tired in that he was wandering around the wilderness for 40 days with no food. That'll make you tired even if you have food. I say stressed because on day 33, Jesus didn't know that the deprivation was going to end on day 40. He was unaware how long God was going to test him. So that's going to cause you to have stress in your life, right? When you don't know when the trial's going to end. And I say alone because no one else was there to encourage him to follow God. Friends, when you and I are in those same circumstances that Jesus was in, that's when the devil's going to come against us. I mean, I just learned the hard way. I know when I'm most vulnerable. I've identified it. And it's the same when Jesus was most vulnerable. When we're tired, when we're alone, when we're stressed. So friends, during these times, which in this life seems to come up, I don't know, every other day, all right, when you're in those circumstances... You've got to be extra on guard because that's when Satan's going to fire one of his fiery arrow darts of temptation. Number three, if you want to be victorious over temptation, then thirdly, learn the scriptures. We have a high priority on the word of God here at New Day Church, and it's for a thousand reasons. I'd love to do a whole sermon on why this is so important sometime, and I will, but not today. But today I'll mention just one reason why we place such a high value and priority on the teaching of the Word of God. It's because of this. It's the key to being victorious over temptation. Hey, let's pretend right now that your spiritual success over temptation depended on how many scriptures you've memorized from the book of Deuteronomy. How well would you do? How did Jesus overcome the temptations of the devil? Three times he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. Nowadays, it's so sad, but you literally have preachers telling Christians the Old Testament doesn't matter. Oh my goodness. It's crazy. Jesus quoted the Old Testament to overcome the devil. We've got to know the word of God, all of it. We've got to know the word of God, which goes back to guarding our daily quiet time where we read our Bible and we pray. We've got to know the word of God because Satan's going to come along and say, you know what seems like a good idea for you to do such and such? And we might, like Eve, go, yeah, you know what? That fruit does look tasty to eat, huh? But we've got to know what God says to do in every situation. So we've got to learn the word of God. We've got to know the word of God. So that when the devil comes with the temptation to do such and such, we can respond and say, no, God says this. And that's what I'm committing to do. And when we do this, that's resisting the devil. And he has to, on the authority of God's word, flee from us. Now, he'll come back at an opportune time again. He's not going to flee from us and leave us alone permanently, but he'll leave us alone in that instance. So, friends, we've got to know the word of God. Now, there are so many other lessons that we could take from this passage. I wish I had another hour uh, with you, but I don't. These are the top three, though. 
I think these are three wonderful things we can take from the example of Jesus to learn how to be victorious over temptation. But friends, if it was easy, then we'd all be doing it. It's not easy. And that's why we've got to end our time together in prayer, asking God for help. And if you want to do that, just bow your head, close your eyes, and pour out your heart to God. Maybe you'd say this in your heart, Heavenly Father, uh, I want to honor you by resisting temptation. And so, God, I give you praise today for Jesus' wonderful example. I've learned from him that my time alone with you is my source of spiritual power. God, help me to guard that time. God, I've learned from Jesus that there are some times where I am more vulnerable than others. God, I pray for your help. Help me to be extra on guard when I'm in those circumstances. And God, I've learned from Jesus the high priority of knowing the word of God. God, knowing your word puts a very powerful spiritual weapon at my disposal. Ephesians calls it the sword of the spirit. And God, I know I'll fare better, better in battle if I'm using a sword instead of just my bare hands. God, help me to realize how important it is to learn your word. And God, may I be committed to that very thing. God, I can't do this on my own, so today I'm asking for your help. And God, I ask in the name of the one who was tempted in every way, just as I am, yet was without sin. God, I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.